All right. Last week, we, uh, we talked about the rich young ruler, and I want to just really, I want to just quickly review that and then really dive into a powerful challenge that, you know, I felt even has been um, on my heart for, it's been pretty intense season of preparation, and I, I got a text this morning, which I, I, I think that God is just speaking this, and this was a confirmation. It was from Chuck Jr. I'm just going to read a few excerpts, because I just think that it's important. It's important to realize this is, this is a move of God. God is trying to get the church's attention, because he is wanting to do something powerful. And... What he heard all morning as he was in prayer was, as on that day the church grew. I believe that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and his glory will dwarf that of the day of Pentecost in the history books will take into account and they will state, and on that day the church grew. Jesus stated in John fourteen twenty nine that he shares these things with us before they happen so that on the day that it does we will believe. We're all going to be amazed when the greatest harvest of all time starts sweeping, pouring into the church. And we're going to be like, we knew this was going to happen. And he said, we are in John 13 to 15 season to prepare us, teach us, prune us. So that when the day of Pentecost is upon us, the Holy Spirit and his glory poured out, we will be ready. And on that day, the church will grow. And I thought that was so amazing because, um, you know, and he goes on to say how... Um, I was interested. Peter proclaimed with all his heart that he would never deny Jesus and would always love him, yet moments later denied him. And this is, this is why I really am focusing so much on heart motive, because it doesn't matter what you say you believe, it's what's in your heart that will come out in those pressure situations. It doesn't matter what claims you make, like with your hyper faith saying, hallelujah. I mean, I saw so many people crumble in instance in difficult situations when they were the biggest faith people that were out there. And then calamity starts hitting, trial, struggle, and they crumble quickly. And God is after knocking on our hearts and checking out the integrity and the motives and the purity of our faith, what we believe. So that in those times, what is in us will come out of us in great clarity and strength. And there won't be any wavering. What we say we believe is what we believe. And during trial, it comes out with great demonstration and witness of God's glory. And that is what happened with this rich young ruler that we talked about last week. You know, And that's why Chuck's word was so encouraging this morning is because... It's a season of preparation. And this is what God is, is driving home. Is that, do you really believe, do you really live what you believe? And with the rich young ruler, that was the case. He had all of this front of great spiritual strength and religious fortitude. But when 
he said, you could see that his, as we talked about last week about the insecurity that came out of his heart, because he basically said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, anyone who would have been strong in their conviction and secure in God's love and his work would have not asked that question. And Jesus looked right to him and got right to the point. This, he said, this one thing you lack, and if you're going to title my message, that is what it would be titled. This one thing. Because this one thing is the same thing that God is after in each one of our hearts. He is after this one thing that deceives us, that has led us astray. And this one thing in the, in the particular case of the rich young ruler was this this self-sacrificing devotion and that's what I really want to hit today is this idea of all followers of Christ, all genuine followers of Christ have this one thing self-sacrificing devotion and I want to break that down a little bit because this is this is one of the things, I don't know I, and this isn't for you if you're a new believer this isn't for you if you're an immature Christian. This is for you if you're a mature believer. This is for me. This is for you. It's for all of us because self, no one is immune from self. <laughs> this one thing, self-sacrificing devotion. And it characterizes every true believer of Jesus. Like I said last week, God's calling us out of humanism, philosophy, that philosophy that the human is central. And we're countering that with saying, no, Christ has to be central. If Christ is central, it means there's no place for self to be central. And, you know, we can, we can um, demonize self and just say that, oh, you know, it's those people who are so consumed and conceited and grandiose and all they're self-absorbed but it's all of us folks all of us deal with this bad four-letter word self self it's that which is an enmity with god in fact second timothy three i just want to read this out of the amplified it's powerful but understand this that in the last days dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of themselves, Narcissistic. Self-focused. And see, that shows how broad the gamut is. Is that it's not just these arrogant, self-centered narcissists. It's those who have a focus on themselves. Now this gets really, don't be like the rich young ruler where you walk away grieving. Like this message isn't meant to do that. It's meant to bring us life. It's meant to convict us and bring us to a place where we go to Christ and we say, Lord, whoa, that was rough. Help me. Transform me by your power in a greater measure. Right? People will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money impelled by greed, boastful, 
arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, profane, and they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossipers, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, wow, traitors, reckless, conceited. Listen to this one. This, this kind of hits. Lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God. And, you know, I was just thinking about that. Sensual means coming from the five senses. And I just want to break that down because I thought it was confronting. Lovers of the five senses pleasure rather than lovers of God. Pleasure that comes from the five senses. Taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing. Think of the things that that involves. It, it involves food, of course. Physical comforts. Intimacy, exercise. You know, because when, when you do exercise regularly, it is very comforting. It releases adrenaline in you. It releases endomorph. All that kind of thing. Self-care. Well, you know, self-care, you know. How many of you have heard that? Like, well, self-care. Which, you know, like any of these, we all should enjoy these things. They are things that incite the five senses in a positive way. And we should enjoy those things. But we're talking about whether you're a lover of those things rather than a lover of God. What does that look like, right? And how about like, the other five sense kind of positive experiences. Entertainment. Sight and sound. Right, baby? Adventure. To behold new things. New sights. New experiences. This is all five sense stuff. Talk, talking. Maybe you even like to hear yourself talk. You don't really even care to listen to others talk. You just like yourself. I like to just hear myself talk. You know you're this kind of person if you, if you stop talking and just listen and just monitor your own heart. This isn't for anybody else. It's for you. If you get really frustrated like, this is awful. All I have to do is listen to people talk. I don't know. Just a thought. Like, just put it out there. Because this is all about us assessing our lives, saying, Lord, do I have self-centeredness about me? And all these things I mentioned are all things we try to plan on a vacation, right? And the question isn't if you do these things, because you'd be kind of silly if you, let's go on vacation and debase our bodies. And let's make ourselves miserable. <laughs> right? No, that's just senseless. But the question is, is your life occupied with pursuing these more than God? And God is not the five senses. Sometimes he jumps in and he stirs and appeals to our sensory, our sensual part. But that is not, God is not flesh and blood. He is spirit. He is truth. He is love. Okay, continues verse 5. Holding these people in the last days 
holding to a form of outward godliness. That sounds good, right? Much like the rich young ruler, right? Or religion. Although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. So here we have an equation of the power of God being very different than an outward form of godliness. Why is that? Because the power of God transforms. And it ends with such a strong statement in this passage of 2 Timothy 3. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. Now, that seems very extreme, right? Why? Because this dead religion is contagious. Now think of this whole passage we read in light of Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is life with me for all eternity. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, wealth, fame, success, but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Look at Esau. What did Esau give? Esau gave up his entire inheritance. For what? A sensual, elemental thing. Folks, it's not uncommon. It's not this absurd thing to think that someone would actually pursue and love sensual pleasures and comforts more than God. This rich young ruler was a perfect example of that. He literally went away grieving after God loved him. I mean, my whole point this week is to really cause us to think. Us, I said us, not you, us. It doesn't matter how long you've served the Lord, what position of ministry you've ever held. God is after us dying to ourself. Not just to punish us or make us feel bad. He's doing it because he wants to release supernatural life of his spirit through us. Remember what I said last week? So that we could do impossible things. Making impossible things possible. But we can't do it when we can't see because we're so clouded with ourselves. And limited by our own constraints. And that is not what a supernatural spirit-filled believer is about. Someone endowed, filled, possessed, occupied by the living God, the Holy Spirit, defies natural human constraints. They are led by the Spirit, right? Not by the flesh. 
And when you're led by the Spirit, it is not five senses. And if we are consumed by the five senses, we can never grow in what it is to be led by the Spirit, which is outside of the five senses. It's a deep spiritual unction, a leading, a guiding that comes from communing with God, spending time with him. We're gonna get, we'll get into a little of this. So as, as I just read this and I was reflecting on last week, because last week caused me to really, really think, and I, I, I'm just, I'm hungry for God. I want, I want to be transformed. I'm not settled with where I'm at. There's wonderful things that are happening, but I'm not content. I'm not settled. There's more to this life than just being success, successful or having some kind of fulfillment or pleasure or relationships. Like, God has purposes. And I started thinking, like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Have you ever thought about it in the most simple way? Well, John the Baptist introduced this concept, and then Jesus reiterated the same exact statement in Matthew 4.17. And in the Amplified, it says, repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, Regret past sins. Live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this whole idea of, of repentance is metanoia in the Greek, and it literally means to change your mind. Change the way you think. Now, so, if that's the case, folks... Repentance is not something we just do when we come to Jesus and get saved or become a born-again believer. Repentance is something that is part of our life. Continually, in every day that we live, we are changing our mind about things. Hopefully in alignment with truth and God's ways, right? Hopefully. Repentance is evident. It's not something you do in your personal little prayer time. It could be. But repentance, I just realized. I think I took your glasses. Are those yours? I think these are mine. Yes. You know, when you get older, there's times when I can't find my glasses and I have two on my head. And you're just like, everywhere is glasses because then you can't see. I have them in the glove box. I have them in my nightstand. I have, I looked at Steph's and she has like 20 behind the bed. I was like, good Lord, treasure. <laughs> anyway, glasses. So I was wondering why are these so, because sometimes she gets hers full of finger oil. And I kept wiping it saying, my glasses never get like this. I'm very particular about them. But I was wondering, why is it so foggy? And I just can't see right. So that answered my question. I had her glasses on. But repentance is evident. It's not something you could even fake. Repentance is, it's like Paul said, 
Give yourself to these things so that your progress may be evident to all. Repentance, the way when your mind changes, your life changes. Actions follow your mindsets. Actions follow your thoughts and your beliefs. If you believe money is worthless, you won't be doing many activities that produce money. Well, none of us should really believe money is worthless because money is very important. The love of money is terrible, but money is what puts food on your table. It's what allows you to do what you're supposed to do. It allows you to give in faith and expression to God. God's heart is to provide for you. It's probably why there's more about money in the Bible than a lot of other things. Because it's our currency of, of demonstrating trust. It's, it's, it's the vehicle through which we put feet to our claims, right? Because we love to make all kinds of claims, but then when, when God says, oh, you trust me? Then tithe. Well, you know. I mean, it is. Well, I give my time. Well, you know what? You probably don't value your time as much as money. Most likely. Some of you, maybe you do value. There are people who don't value money as much. They value maybe relationships, but do you give of them? Really, repentance is about turning from self to God, right? Changing your mind about the way you think things should be done, the way you think things should be, and to God in his ways. Oh, boy, I just have to say it because I just felt like God just said, come on. Some of you are minimizing even finances. I, and I'm saying this because I felt like just God prompted and said, don't go. Stay there. Press it. And you rationalized in your minds. If this isn't you, just disregard what I'm saying. But in your minds, you started saying, well, pff, that's not me. Well, if it's not you, then you have no problem giving in a healthy way. If it's a problem to give in a healthy way, there might be something there. Or giving it all. <laughs> okay, I'm done. But that was my pressing that spot because some of you rationalized right there on the spot and the Spirit just said, press it right now. Whoever did that, you're rationalizing. You are focusing on your self-rationalism and your, your ways of thinking when it is clear. I love that imagery in the Old Testament even where, where God, where David said, I take just a portion and give it to you and trust back to you. Because all things, you give all things to my hand. And that always struck me because I'm like, you know, Lord, you give all things. Why do we have such a problem giving back at all? And there's always some reason, some rationalization Change your mind from one way to another, not just turning away, but turning to. Thoughts lead to actions. Even those of you who, 
who don't know Jesus can be disciplined and refined in making plans, right? Plans are intentionally produced for certain outcomes. In financial planning, if you want to have retirement, then you plan. And anyone, even if they don't know Jesus, can do that, right? It's intentionally planning for the future, right? Career planning, same way. What do I have to do to get to the next place of development in my career? What skills am I lacking? I am going to take some classes, right? Life coaching, building a home, like this is what I want. How do I get there? Well, I got to start with site work. Then I need to move to a foundation. Then I'm going to build on that foundation Once I have a weatherproof shell, I'm going to start building that thing out with the systems it needs. Electrical, plumbing. But my question to you are, are the plans of God, because we just read here that repentance is changing your inner self, your old way of thinking, regretting your past sins, living life in a way that proves repentance. Seeking God's purpose for your life. We're not talking about any purpose. We're not talking, are the plans of God, are they, are they your plans about God? Or are they God's plans for you? It's a big difference. A lot of people say, oh yeah, I love the Lord. I have these ideas of how I can really help the Lord. I have these, these ideas that I think it would be great if I were to do this for God. But there's a deeper, higher plan, and that is what does God say his plan is for you? How do you make him the center and adjust yourself and align your life to, and most of the time, folks, that plan that God has for you is not just involve you. I don't know of many plans where it just involves the person. It usually involves a collaboration of different parts of the body working together to express a desired outcome. Meaning, it reinforces this mandate from God that you need to die to yourself and be fused together with others that are different and be able to express together something that God, synergy, Something greater than you could produce and someone else. When you come together, one plus one is three. That's synergy. Producing more than you can do apart from one another. Are the plans God has for you being intentionally pursued? Ask yourself those questions for your life. And, you know, this is all conditional upon a few things. One. That you know God, not just feeling known by God. You know God. You don't just feel known. I had, a, I had a friend once that I was witnessing to in high school. His name was Will. And we would sit out in front, right, right on Kenilworth where we lived. He would sit out in front of this Catholic church and he'd pray and just hold a cross in his fingers. And just say, can you feel that? And I'm like, what, man? He's like just looking at this building and holding this cross, I just feel, I just feel like close to God. And God was really trying to move in him. And I I told him, I said, well, you know, it's because God wants a relationship with you. I just preach the gospel. 
told him how God died for him and everything like this. But to him, he wasn't interested in that. He was interested in his concoction of what it meant to be close to God, which to him is looking at a church building and holding a cross and saying, I feel just warm. Some people love the discipline of sharing their heart and their thoughts with God, but there is no expectation of receiving something back from him. That is not a relationship, narcissist. Right? A relationship's dynamic. It's give and take both ways. There's an exchange. And a relationship with God is the real thing. It is your giving of your heart. And he's pouring back his heart. Back and forth. Dynamic exchange. Not Lord, I just had to come to you and talk to you about just these thoughts I had in my mind. You know what it is? It's your God of listening to yourself rattle off and journal your thoughts and reflections. The living God expects to give back and have exchange back and forth. He expects for you to share and then him say, now I want to share with you. And you go, whoa. I didn't consider that. Like, he's alive. He's another person that's literally giving you insight that you can't concoct from your own heart or your own thoughts. And folks, I'm telling you, if you haven't had that kind of aha to say, whoa, I've never thought about that, God. I question whether you really have a relationship with God. Because it should be outside of your experience, outside of yourself. Just like if I came up to you and said, hey, Alex, how are you? I wanted to share some things with you. You don't know because it's not even your personality. It's things from my life. I want to share with you an outsider speaking into someone else's life. That is a relationship with God. He is outside. I understand he's inside, but he's an outside of yourself. And he's literally wanting an exchange. It is very infantile if your relationship with God amounts to just recounting your feelings and sharing your thoughts. And, oh, Lord, I have these struggles. That's part of it. But that is not what a relationship is. A relationship is a two-way street, giving and taking, or it's dysfunctional. So that's why this is kind of hard. You know, people get all, they make their own relationship with God according to their terms. He's truth. It's why most spiritual disciplines have some kind of public context, like public reading of the word. Why do I have to do it in public? Look at it throughout the scripture. It's a discipline. Because public is part of a private relationship that's healthy. He has a family of truth, not just individuals of truth. 
you know, then finally, like we talked about, this the Holy Spirit, someone outside of yourself is guiding your growth and repentance. It's not like you're just meditating and then you're like, oh, you know, maybe I do need to work on my love a little bit. I'm going to try to do that. Like living in a relationship with God is where you and you recognize a supernatural force and empowerment helping you to grow, saying, hey, Rob, listen to me. What? I never considered that. Are you sure? Same way you do with a person. When God starts pointing out the things of your heart, you're like, what? Come on. At first, you're, you're defensive, like any other relationship. And then he just keeps keeps at you. It's little by little, and you're like, you really think so, God? Come on. Like, and then he starts giving you some examples, and you're like, oh, dang. Maybe you're on to something. And then we start processing and tr- being transformed by God, and we're like, okay, I'm willing to work on it. What do I do? Yeah, die. <laughs> Yeah, we have to stop. Um, That'll be part two. Let's just... Bald eagle. Is it really? Oh, it passed. Thank you, Lord. Signs and wonders. And that's a confirmation to say, Sean, land the plane. So this is my challenge to you today. Look and assess your life. Have you turned from self to God? These, these are great life group questions. By the way, have you turned from self to God? Does your life in community demonstrate this? Or do you still live a very self-centered Christian life? Well, I go to life group. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about outward appearance, fulfilling some religious duties. Where's your heart? Where's your motive? Are you going because you're fascinated about being transformed and added into a body of living stones and discovering the treasure in other people and saying, God, how would you join me together with this life group? How would you open my eyes to understand things better? I want to grow. I want to be transformed. I want to leave self and turn to God, turn to his people. What areas remain where you need to repent or turn from self to God? Oh, there's so much more, part two. But this will be, this will be like, like response 101. I've already gotten downloaded 103, and it's grueling. I'm like, oh, God, please, anesthesia, Lord, please. Because we all deal with this. We all deal with this on varying levels. 
And we need to be led by this place of, Lord, oh, I want to see more of what you have for me. I want you to be center. I'm not trying to follow some dead religious system, this legalistic, like, checklist. I want what you have for me. I want to see. I want to know you. Expose my heart, Lord. And you know, once you may have been non-sensual, which what I mean by that is seeking your senses and the pleasure of your senses. Maybe you've lost your first love. And maybe you need to return and just say, Lord, I've lost that first love. There are other things that thrill me more than connecting with you. So, Lord, we recognize what you are doing in our day. You are calling us to yourself. Lord, even from February, you've been just driving this point home. You've been asking, will you accommodate me? And, Lord, it just seems like month after month, you just take us deeper and say, well, I'm after your motives. I'm after your heart. Have you lost your first love? Am I central to your life? It's the same overarching message. But, Lord, we just say, take our lives. Expose our hearts. Lord, your light is the best light to shine in our hearts. There's no partiality. There's no, it's perfect. Father, we pray that We want to commit. We don't want to be like the rich young ruler. We want to when you express your love to us. Even if it's in correction or trying to get us out of ourselves and into your spirit. We don't want to walk away grieved. We want to be like, oh, Lord, how good, how kind, how loving, how wonderful is it to be in this place where I know you are alive and you're reaching in and you're, you're picking things out because you want to set me free. You have a life that's more abounding in goodness and truth and light than where I am now, and I want that. I've decided beforehand. Come and have your way in me, Father. That's what I pray. I pray that you come and have your way in each heart here. Lord, I pray for any criticism that has arisen during this, Lord, of me, of you, of your word, of intention or motive. I pray you strip it, Lord. Strip away self-preservation. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in your people, that they would not be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, they would not be held captive by sensual lusts or pleasures. But Father, that you'd release a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that drives your people into you, Christ, the center of it all, the one thing, this place of self-sacrificing devotion to the one true and living God. Lord, let this faith, let this purity, let this romance run rampant in our town, in our region, Father God. Let it grip hearts of your church that they would rise as a mighty witness and testimony that God is alive and he has a people.
sorry for going late. Come, come and respond to the Lord. Come and respond in your seats. It doesn't matter how you respond, just respond to God if you feel that prompting. And you know, he's never there to condemn and throw you under a rock. He's there to say, take my hand. I'm gonna guide you. I'm gonna lead you out of this place of self, this place of captivity. I want you free. I want you to enter into liberty that you have not known, you have not seen. He wants you to come out of your pride that says, been there, done that. I, I, I got this. Oh, Lord, deliver us from dead religion. Deliver us, Father, from dead religion. Deliver us from pride, God. Pray you release humility that would be like an antidote to the world. You know, this is so powerful. Some of you, it's going to be coming like coming to Jesus all over again. You may have accepted Jesus, but you have lost your first love. You've lost this place of selfless sacrifice to where Jesus is the central thing. He is your heartbeat. He is the butterflies in your stomach thinking about him and his wondrous ways. Some of you have been stolen away by the cares of this world. Some of you have been deceived by riches. Which is far more than money, folks. It's, it's things, it's feelings, it's experiences, it's senses. So Lord, come, come and do a work in us.